0: This is the Laravel News Podcast, your one stop podcast to find out about Laravel related news, tutorials, packages, and more. Here are your hosts, Jake Bennett and Michael
1: Durenda. Hello, ladies and gentlemen out there, you beautiful people of the interwebs. Welcome to Laravel News, episode 190. This is. April 25th, 2023. We are back. And uh we missed a day. We missed one day. We'll, we're we're one day late, but we soldier on, right? We're just one day. I think you'll forgive us. Hopefully. Soldier on. Hopefully.
0: I was I was busy watching watching the Lakers close out game 4 mm. yesterday mm-hmm. and I I forgot. Like I knew in the morning. I knew that it was like we're going to have to do yep, it, yep. but then just I totally forgot. forgot caught up in the in the game and, and i just and you didn't, you didn't message nope. me i thought okay no nope. we'll just let it
1: slip and today i was like we should probably get we that done do that. so here we are here we are here and we both are. of us have crazy hair it's crazy hair day today mm. michael has got his it's just it's not even green anymore it's bluish sort of mike yeah, that's it's, it's just bleached just ble- yep. so i bleached it yeah yep. and then mine is just in, in, between,
0: in between crazy color
1: michael said i look
0: like jim carrey this yeah, is just
1: full-on straight up. Ice Ventura is right up there. Yep. So I should take a picture of it. Reaching for that ceiling. It's pretty tall. Well, hey, folks, we got a good show ahead of us. Uh, We want to give a quick shout out to Honey Badger because they are amazing. They are error tracking and monitoring for your Laravel applications or any other applications you might have working for you. Uh, They do all sorts of amazing stuff. and We're going to be talking about them later. They are sponsoring the show. Thank you so much to Honey Badger. All right. Should we jump right into it? We got some releases. We got some news. We got some packages. We got some tutorials, all the fun stuff. Here we go. Laravel 10.7. This was released uh, the week of April 12th and included some new features. Wendell Adriel contributed a pipe method for the process layer. So let's talk about the process layer real quick. So what this is, is previously there wasn't a great way to invoke commands on the box, which you were running your Laravel app on at least none that were really had that had that Laravel sort of feel to them. Right. And so this mm-hmm. new process layer allows you to do all sorts of amazing things. Uh, so we've talked about this a couple times in the past. Um, but one of the things that allows you to do, uh, which is nice, is allows you to essentially test against things that you're going to push into the, the process layer. And so uh, you can basically like fake it out, I think. And you know, say it should receive this and it should get back this. And then when it does, you should do this. And so uh, it opens all up all, all sorts of possibilities. And uh, this new method is a good example of how you can continue to extend this. So this method, this pipe method, so now you do process double colon pipe, you pass it a closure. I will run commands in sequence and then it will pass the output of the first command to the input of the next one. So if I say cat test.txt, What you could then do uh, in your command line typically is you would pipe, you'd pipe that over. So space, pipe, space, grep, and then you'd say something like foo, right? And that would basically say, uh, Mm -hmm. find all occurrences of the word foo inside of this test.txt. But uh, now what you can do inside of this process command is you can say process pipe and then pass in a list of these different commands. So pipe command cat test.txt. And then as a second Command, you can say pipe command grep i foo. So you can pass the output of the one into the input of the next, very similar to what you do on the command line if you were just doing piping. Uh, but now you can do it with this nice, fluent um, interface, which is really, really nice. And then you just call, once you've got all that set up, then you pipe run, and then you grab the output of that. So it's it's handy when you need to chain the results of a group of commands, you know one to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. Very nice. Uh, Joel Harkis contributed a set value method In the validator class to set the value of a given attribute, the author gave a description for the need for this method. So for package development, we'd like to make it possible for rules to override data to make the validation type safe, but there's no possible way to efficient or yeah, efficiently update a value in line. I can call set data, but it would completely reload the rules itself uh, as well as cause a big slowdown. So with this PR, you would previously, or with, you can now say this validator set value, and then you pass in the attribute. And then as a second argument, you pass in the value. Whereas previously what you had to do is you had to do array set this data, pass in the attribute, pass the value. And then you'd have to say this validator set data and pass in that data that you had just set. So it was not great. And again, these are just sort of some of those paper cut improvements where there were ways to do this stuff but this is just a bit nicer. So, you can check out pull request 46716 if you want more details and examples on that how you could use that. Uh we have Luke Kuzmish contributed the ability to assert invocable event listeners. This was not previously possible. So, in your testing, you can say event assert listening and what you can do is you pass in as the first argument to this the event that's going to be dispatched in your uh in your application. And then as the second one, you pass in a listener, right? And so this is really handy because essentially what you can do is in your event service provider, you might have a particular event that's fired and then you have like 10 listeners or something like that. Let's say it's like a, a user login event or something like that. And you have some listeners. Sometimes it's just a little bit of safety to have a test that also confirms that those things are the case. So that if somebody removes one of those items, there's at least a test to catch, hey, by the way, that was important enough that we wrote something here to confirm that that stays. So if you're going to be removing it, make sure that you're removing it on purpose, right? So it just adds a little layer of protection. This is similar to how uh, Jason McCreary suggests that you do validation rules, uh, right? It's You don't have to test the framework that the framework is going to actually dispatch an event to your listener. You know that's going to happen. The framework is testing that itself. But you're basically providing yourself a sanity check to say, this is how I've got it configured. I'm making sure my tests reflect how it's configured. And if the configuration changes, you have to update it in the tests as well. Michael, any any other comments on that? Is that kind of what you would say this is too? Yeah. I
0: th- yeah. I mean, I think the the main thing here is that the, the issue that was open on the on the repository for this was that they they're using the automatic event listener discovery and the code itself works fine but in tests the assert listening method itself it's not working with those invocables. Didn't handle gotcha. invocables yep. right um, so that's valid you can have your your event listeners can have either a handle method or an invoke method yep. and so it was handling the one scenario but not the gotcha. other. In, in the test scenario. So this was just to kind of patch up that. It's always that like case funny
1: how long these things can like kind of live in the framework and sort of be there for without sure. somebody recognizing it. Um, it's just funny. Mm.
0: Anyway. I think it's the, the wave thing, right? Because, you know, if you've been in the framework for a while, you know, you would be using, like you're not going to go and change all of your event listeners that have True. a handle method to be invocables necessarily. Yeah. So it's only if you're either you know going through a process of, of converting it that you might notice that or if you're you know using the framework for the first time where the documentation now says to use an invocable and so you kind of you know hitting those edge cases where you're testing things in a in a different way and like those things come up and it's and it's good that we've got you know people contributing fixes to those things as well
1: absolutely well that's all we've got for 10.7 uh, you can find the full change log on github of course on to 10.8 yes 10.8 uh, was released
0: uh, this week just gone, which introduces several new features and improvements, including a new Pint rule for formatting method chaining and indentation and some syntactic sugar for the process pipe method, which we just spoke about. So first up, Laravel Pint had a new version released that sorted out your alignment of your method chaining. So I know that I personally like to do, you know, this, do something, you know, this arrow user or whatever on the first line and on the next line indent in one space. Um, or one tab stop and then do the next thing, right? So the example that Nuno gave in his tweet was this app when, whatever, new line. So it's removing an extra where your editor would typically give you like a double indentation or it might try and align things like right to the end of, you know, where the last arrow is. This will kind of make sure that everything's left aligned one tab stop. So that's just, you know, a decision that's made within the framework. And if you're following that, then you've got the ability to do that now as well. Uh, next up, Wendell Adriel contributed some syntactic sugar to the pipe method that we just spoke about. So previously, you would have to um, do like process colon colon pipe and pass it a closure, and then you would have pipe arrow command and then, for example, cat test.txt, semicolon, new line, pipe command grep-i, right? So this is taking the output of cat test.txt, taking the output and piping it straight into the grep. So this new syntactic sugar Allows you to pass an array of commands that will be executed automatically for you. So instead of doing the, the closure, you do pipe colon colon, uh, sorry, process colon colon pipe, pass it an array. And then your first is cat test.txt. Your second item is grep dash i foo, right? So instead of having to do the closure and yeah, like calling the, the pipe commands directly, if you're just executing shell commands or, you know, or, or bash scripts or whatever on, on your application server. You can now just pass that all in and it will handle taking the output from one and, and passing it into the input of the next. So that's a nice little a bit of syntactic sugar there from Wendell. Next up, Tim McDonald contributed class-based after-validation rules, which allows an array of after-rules. So if you've ever used the validator make, like if you've ever instantiated a validator directly and then you can chain on the after method to then do a whole bunch of things after the validation has taken place if you need to do some extra testing if you want to do some conditionals and things like that this was previously only really possible nicely using validator make within the context of a form request you'd have to do with validator and then you you'd get past the validator then you'd have to do like validator arrow after and do all of this extra stuff so the improvements that were made to form request now allows you to define an after method in your class and essentially just return an array of things that get done you know, after the validation takes place. And this kind of streamlines that process so you don't have to use with valid data and do all of this extra you know, layering of closures and things like that. The framework will handle all of that for you under the hood. So thanks to Tim for that one. Luke Kuzmish is back again, this time allowing us or affording us the ability to specify an index name when calling constrained. So this is in your um, schema definitions for database migrations. Previously, you would have to do something like uh, you know, table foreign ID four, or or do you know table foreign references on constrained null on delete. Now you can do uh, table foreign ID four arrow nullable arrow constrained and pass it. You know, null null foreign, uh, you know, and then the name of the index. So this kind of condenses all of that stuff for you, so that you don't have to have multiple declarations. Mileage may vary in terms of which you find more readable. Um, I think the the, the extra stuff. You know, using the named methods just makes it a little bit clear when you're looking at it, without having to kind of look at, you know, what are these positional arguments and things like that. So options are there, but it kind of cuts down the number of lines in your schema definition. So that's that's a nice little contribution there. Choose your own adventure, really. And the last one we have here, contributed by Andrian Damilar, Damilar, uh, contributed a max exceptions property that you can add to events that will determine the maximum number of unhandled exceptions to allow before failing. Uh, so we can have a look at pull request 46, 800 for that one for additional details. But we'll have links to all of that in the notes for the show.
1: I like that after validation rule stuff. It's pretty sweet.
0: Yeah, that is very nice. Yep. I, I mean, I've, I've, I've had, had calls to do times. it where yeah. sort of, yeah, especially when you're using, I think I'm kind of tending towards using form requests more often mm-hmm. in in our you know in my day job. And so when we do need to reach for that with validator thing, as I said, reading through that, it is it is a bit janky to have to do that. You know, you've got with validator, which is past the validator. Then you have to, you know, call validator after, which then accepts a closure, which is then past the validator again to then do your conditionals in there. So being able to do that all in line and, and still with the same kind of syntax, you know, you can pass it um, rule objects or you can pass it invocables or you can pass it, you know, inline closures and things like that for, for one-off validation rules. just makes it um, much simpler to deal with.
1: Yeah, it's it's... It looks much cleaner. So, for those of you who might be wondering to yourself, why would I ever need to use this? Let me give you a quick use case. So, let's say that, for example, you want to allow a user uh, to uh, let's put in the, they put in their email, right? Well, you're going to put in something like you're going to put a couple of rules in. You're going to say, you know, it needs to be a valid email address, and then it needs to be unique in the database. It can't, you know, you can't have another user that has the same email, or it could be like unique in the tenant or something like that. But then after you've gone through those, those basic rules, you might have something like bright verify is a a company that basically will accept an email address and tell you whether like how deliverable they think it is. Like, is this actually an email address Mm -hmm. or not? And that's maybe something that's not super easy to do inside of a rule. I mean, I suppose it could be. Uh, But then this after, uh, it also gets resolved out of the container. So in the example that he's giving here, he's resolving a service out of the container and then using this after rule to basically pass an email to that service and then go do a thing, right? So you could totally do that Mm -hmm. right here. That's a a great example of how you could use that. You do bright verify after you've already checked to make sure that it's a valid email and to make sure that it's unique in the tenant. Then you're going to hit that API endpoint, check to make sure that it's deliverable, and then you're going to say, okay, we're good to go. Right. You could do something with have it been pwned or something like that, too, I suppose. Like there's there's all sorts of different things you could do with that. But Mm -hmm. sometimes you just want to validate like the type of the data first. Like, is it an integer? Is it you know, there's some uh, a couple other types of rules you want to check. And then it's like after you've done those very basic checks, then you can do a little bit more in-depth check. And you might do that in your validator. You might do that somewhere else. But this is a a way to make it a little bit easier to do it in your validator. Hey, I don't want to take this next yep. one because this one's talking about something very near and dear to your heart. So, Michael, take it away.
0: Let's do it. Hilaricon AU is returning for 2023. <laughs> by the time, by the time we roll roll around again for 2023, which would be in November, it will have been four. I can't believe, but it will have been four years since the last conference. And whilst a lot of things have changed in the framework in that time, the thing that hasn't changed is the, our community, especially the you know the APAC, a, a, Australian, New Zealand kind of communities' hunger to learn and desire to teach. And with that in mind, we have officially announced that Laracon AU is returning this November. And the conference dates and location are locked in. We've still got heaps to do in terms of planning, speakers, accommodation, all that kind of stuff. To that end, if you want to keep up to date with all the latest news as it becomes available, you can head on over to the Laracon AU website at Laracon.au and join the mailing list. Um, CFP will open in May. And tickets will go on sale in July. After a long wait, I can't wait to get everybody back. Really, it's I'm I'm very excited. Um, and the more that I plan and, and get ticked off the list for this, uh, the, the more excited I get. So I was I was speaking with our um, branding agency that's doing all of the the artwork and all of the the stuff for for the event. You know, organizing t-shirts and stickers and lanyards and and all of that kind of stuff today. Um, you know, it's it's getting quite exciting. Um but yeah on the I think the the week of the eighth of May is when we're going to launch the the full website, which I'm very excited about the the branding agency have done a terrific job of that, and that's when we'll open cFP. so if you're interested in speaking for those of you that are listening that are outside of Australia, um we've got some limited places to to bring some international speakers in, so we're excited to to be able to do that um and and also obviously to you know anyone within Australia within new zealand you know in 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 their in the region. Certainly looking forward to to finding some new speakers um, if we can and, and bring them to to our audience.
1: So looking, looking forward to all of that. Should be awesome. Should be awesome. It's going to be great. Going to be awesome. All right. We have got down to the packages portion of our show. And so the first one I'm going to talk about here is HEIC images. So what are HEIC images? So you have a high efficiency image container images. These are, you might find these on your iPhone. In, uh, you know, some of the more recent versions of the iPhone, you've got these HEIC images. So which of these, these are basically, it's a compression, very similar to JPEG, but it's supposed to, it it saves about like half of the size uh, over a JPEG. And so iPhone uses this to store like videos and photos and things like that. And um, one of the challenges is for those of us running services where we're going to be capturing photos from users' phones. So if they wanted to upload an avatar or if we want them to take a photo of something and then send it through. A lot of times we're used to working with JPEGs or the services that we're using are Mm -hmm. expecting a JPEG, or maybe you don't have an HEIC reader on on the machines that your team members are going to be working on. So what do you do? Well, you can convert this HEIC to JPEG, but previously this was something you had to kind of offload somewhere else or kind of go through some complicated steps to make that happen. Not anymore. The PHP HEIC to JPEG PHP package is the easiest way. To convert these types of images to JPEGs with PHP and Laravel. So sometimes in this case, you have to do, you know, you have to do stuff with PHP where you have to install external dependencies or weird libraries or things like that. That doesn't that is not the case here. So this package uses a binary file that was created with Golang and it just ships with the package. So it's just part of the package. I'm guessing it's probably in the bin. And so it does all that file conversion for you and does it with a really simple interface. So you just say H E I C to JPEG. Double colon convert, pass it the HEIC image, and then you tell it where to save it. That's it. Pretty sweet. Or you can get the binary Best. values of that converted file by just instead of calling save as, you can just say get. And then you could use something like storage, disk, put, whatever, right? Uh, it also has a little convenience method to check to see if a file is a HEIC file. So before you convert it, you can say HEIC to JPEG is HEIC and then pass it some value and then see if it is. And if it is, then you can go along and convert it or save it or whatever you have to do there. But this one is really nice because it's all Mm -hmm. just right inside the package there, which is really cool. So
0: It saves, you know, it saves, um, because HGIC is, you know, Apple proprietary. So it saves having to, you know, get your users to kind of convert that to a JPEG. You can do it within macOS, but it's just like this extra manual step that you don't like don't need to do if you can handle that conversion within, you know, this little simple facade, right?
1: Absolutely. That's a cool one. I'm trying to see who made that because that's that's nice. a really handy one. Uh, Maestro Error. Thanks, Maestro Error. Maestro Error.
0: There you go. Very nice. Uh
1: next up, Luna is an open source package that
0: brings the power of modern headless e-commerce functionality to Laravel. The package allows you to have complete control over the e-commerce front end experience and has done all the hard work for you in the back end. So it ships with an admin admin hub with a you know, it's your UI. Um, that you can visit by going to slash hub after you install Luna. There is also a Luna LiveWire starter kit that you can use as a reference to learn how to integrate various aspects of the front-end store, and there is a complete reference in the documentation to get familiar with all of the eloquent models that are available. And at the time of writing, Luna provides uh, models for activity, activity logging to track changes in the database for addresses, connecting related products with associations, storing custom attributes, Carts, channels, collections of products, currencies, customers, discounts, images, languages, languages, orders, payments, product search, and if that wasn't enough, there is still more. And um, the Lunar Project also plans to provide a storefront API that you can use to power JavaScript frontends or mobile apps using, using a RESTful API. So if you've ever found yourself um, in in the need of a you know headless package to to do this kind of stuff this is all self-hosted open source ready to go for you um i think they're, they're looking at options to commercialize it in terms of like building out full ui kits and things like that potentially but you know especially for agencies if you're looking to to build this kind of functionality having all of the back end kind of ready to go and you just need to attach your front end to it and whatever else you need to do there or, or your mobile apps you know if you want to build the storefront api yourself uh, definitely check this out it's at lunaphp.io, but we'll have links to all of that in the show notes.
1: yeah this is really really nice actually i was actually looking at this today we might end up using this for a store that we're going to build out for our wilbur brand the company i work for so excited uh to, to get dig into that a little bit i will let you know how it turns out but uh, the branding is spot on looks really nice and so you can tell there's a lot of care put into this one so cool stuff okay we have got a Laravel validate package that has over 35 pre-built rules. So this is by Milwad and it helps developers write validation logic faster with plenty of useful rule objects that are included. So these are ones that don't ship by default with Laravel, right? There's a bunch of, of uh, validation rules that ship with Laravel, but these are other ones that you might not necessarily think of that you would have to build out of the, you know, that, build by yourself but that i've had to build a couple times so like phone numbers like how do you make sure that something is a valid phone number this will this will take care of that for you valid ipv6 addresses you have valid ipv4 valid port valid slug base 64 a domain camel case pascal case kebab case snake case a bitcoin address a discord username all sorts of stuff in here and you can see the complete list of rules in the projects read me and setup instructions it also has validation translations for over 10 languages, like English, Chinese, French, Japanese, mm. and more. So it's also localized. So this is really handy. If you uh, happen to need some of these rules or if you the next time you're having to write one, you might want to go check this one out first. So thank you, Milwad, for developing that. Very nice.
0: And, and the last thing, you know, sometimes you end up, it's good to have the validation in front so that you can kind of deal with that and, and send back useful error messages to your application users. But sometimes those validation errors won't be there and you end up hitting your database with this invalid data and you're gonna have some errors. Even when the code is written by an amazing developer such as you. And when those errors happen, it's nice to know that Honey Badger has your back. Honey Badger makes you a DevOps hero by combining error uptime and check-in monitoring into a single easy to use platform. they'll send you alerts in real time with all the context needed to see what's causing the error and where it's hiding so you can quickly fix it and get on with your day. And with the included uptime and cron monitoring, this lets you know when your external services are having issues or when your background jobs go missing or silently fail. You can go to honeybadger.io and discover how Star, Josh and Ben created a 100% bootstrap monitoring solution, which is crucially important because by being self-funded, it means they answer only to you, me, Jake, everyone, who's a developer using the platform rather than a venture capital overlord seeking the next big cash out payment. Check them out at honeybadger.io Thank you for being a long time, long, long time sponsor
1: of the Laravel News podcast. Absolutely. Thank you, Honey Badger. You rock. We've still got uh, three more packages to talk about. So lots of packages this week. This one, maybe you've had more experience in this than I have, Michael. Have you ever worked with F uh, FFMPEG? I have. Yes. It is. I want to um... hear what you what were you using it for. I think I've used it for converting something once or a couple times, maybe like locally but yeah
0: we were i mean this was you know 3 jobs ago 4 4 jobs ago where we were doing you know video on demand streaming and things like that so we were taking a single you know high definition source 4K or whatever um and converting it to different bit rates so that you could send it out to to different devices at you know if you if you're on a flaky connection you get like a lower resolution thing and so there's there's a lot of um knobs and levers and dials you can sort of tweak to to get you know a, a viewable quality you know sounds good looks okay over you know a low low bandwidth connection without compromising the ability to actually watch it um, and so ffmpeg is really powerful for that but it does a whole whole bunch of different stuff you can join videos together you can convert them you can kind of take a, a pre-roll ad and stick it you know stick it together so that you don't have to do that to automatic add insertion in between. Um, I think the main example in this package, and I'll let you go into it in more detail, right. is more about you know generating things Correct. from scratch. Yes, exactly. You know, being able to do motion tweening. If anyone, if anyone's old enough to remember building stuff in Flash, oh, yeah. motion tweening. A flash, saying, you know, absolutely. Here, here is here is like where you start this object. Here is where you end the object, and over a period of time, I want you to animate it between A and B motion 20 and um, it was called but i'll let you continue yeah
1: that's right no so he talks about and um, let me get the name here real quick uh len woodward and so uh len talks about how you can use ffmpeg to generate videos and at the top of the tutorial i want to say it's a tutorial it's it's actually just a package they're featuring here but the top of the uh tutorial here he shows a little video that he's generated use FF using this tool and um he goes into all of the nasty bits that are required in order to be able to make something like this and then talks about why it's really difficult and then interest and, you know says there must be a better way in fact there is so this is laravel ffmpeg tools mm-hmm. and so um you know just like we have with all the other things that we were talking about at the top of the show with the updates He does a great job of taking uh, what was very difficult previously and generating uh, or making a beautiful, fluent interface that you can uh, now take and build your own little animations out of. And so um, read, read more about, it. again, it's, there's a lot of code in here where it's talking about tween from this to this, here's the delay, here's the duration, here's what type of easing you should use. You can create a new timeline and put different keyframes on there and do all that fun stuff. And it will generate a big long command for you that can then generate this video. So it's, it's a simple composer package that you can install. It seems like a very specialized sort of deal, I've not used something like this before, uh, so I can't really speak to it, but I'm sure there's a couple of people out there who are needing to use this. And uh, for those of you who do, uh, this is going to be a good one for you. So there we have it.
0: Next up, the Laravel Telescope Guzzle Watcher is a telescope plugin that provides guzzle request and response logs within the telescope UI. We did have a previous tutorial from Steve that talks about logging external HTTP requests, but instead of hunting down the request response code, in your code, putting in logs, whatever else, you can quickly inspect all of the details of a given request response from Telescope. You can even exclude request and response headers that may contain API keys and other sensitive information. There will be details on how to do that in the show notes. This is um this is really nice. We especially where I mean predominantly for us we use Telescope a lot because our application is yeah, our backend is just a REST API. So if we want to inspect things while we're doing development, it's it's difficult to do that because we don't really have a UI to, to work sure. with at that time. So being able to see all of this kind of stuff, and we do send Guzzle requests out using Laravel's HTTP client, which is you know Guzzle under yep, the hood, exactly. so you can you can put in um, Guzzle has the notion of like, I, I don't know the exact terminology they use, but like interceptors. So you can yeah, kind of inject them, register them as handlers. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a hand, well, no. Um,
0: it's effectively, it's effectively middleware. I think that, I think let's just call it middleware yeah. um, in Guzzle, to be honest. And it kind of sits in the answer so for every request that goes into or out of Guzzle, irrespective of how it's been instantiated or where it's been called from. It will allow you to kind of, intercept and inspect the request and response and then this is just then putting that into your telescope database and it gives you a nice http client kind of um, menu item within telescope to then go through and and view all of that data so that's that's extremely helpful um, if you want to see what's being sent out without having to you know without having to go in and and change your code you know and firing requests into you know to dump or Diddy or log or ray or whatever you know you're using to kind of intercept that manually you can just you know, even if it's just like a, a flag that you enable that just turns on this middleware thing, so that you can do that testing. So that's a that's a very nice package. Kudos, kudos to let's find who's this? Who's I? Who's I? I'm I'm sorry about pronouncing your name. Muhammad is his name. Muhammad Huzefa.
1: So uh, that's
0: a good contribution there. I like it.
1: Absolutely. We've got another contribution. Uh, it's actually not. I mean, this is not a framework contribution. Uh, But Paul Redmond, everyone's favorite human, thought this one was worth mentioning. So this reminds me of back in the day of all the string helpers, Caleb, the string king. You remember this? Mm -hmm. So this is written by Cohen Hendricks. And this is a macro, uh, a string macro, string helper, supports the stringable class. And it is called acronym, STR acronym package. And so what you can do is you can say STR, double colon, acronym. And then you can pass in a string and it will create an acronym out of that. So for example, if you passed in Laravel News, it would create the acronym LN. Or if you said Amazon Web Services, it would do AWS. Or if you passed in somebody's name like Eric Barnes, it would do EB. Now you can also pass a delimiter as a second argument. So if you put a period in there as a second argument, it would do E.B. Or if you passed in Eric L.Barnes, it would do E.L.B, dot dot right? And you can use the stringable class as well. So you can do str of uh, Laravel news, and then you could, um, you know, string those things together as well. So yeah, it's kind of cool. It says this tiny macro could help generate text-based chat avatars for users based on first and last names. For example, if you instead wanted to use the macro directly, here's what it looked like at the full time of writing. Yeah, it's a lot. There's a lot of stuff in there. So that's a good one. It's a good one. if If you had that need, I've, I've actually needed something like this before for that same reason where I was, I think what I did in mine is I just said, grab the user's first name, grab the first letter off that name, and then find the last name in their string, and then go to the beginning of it and grab off the first letter, right? And I would just do first, you know, mm-hmm. the initials essentially. But this would this would pretty much do that for you by generating this acronym. So yeah, kind of nice. I think Google does this, right? Doesn't Google, if you don't have an avatar or something, it'll do like JB or... I feel like there's there's some apps yeah, that a do load this. Yeah, a lot of places do yeah, that now. Yeah, yeah. So... It's nice because if you don't have an avatar, it's like you either have this crappy default avatar or you end up with like your initials with like a nice colored gradient, something behind it. So that's that's a nice option. Mm -hmm. Cool. There's that one. Very good. Now,
0: tutorial time. Two two tutorials. Two tutorials today. Two tutorials today. Say that
1: three times fast. Two tutorials today. Um, Two tutorials today. Two tutorials today. Two tutorials today. That's four. I can't do it. It's too much. It's too much. Too much. Too much.
0: So... Steve McDougall is a fan of actions in Laravel. And look, I will be honest, I also am a fan of actions in Laravel. Indeed. If you've used Jetstream, you'll find that this is a thing that happens. By default, it will use like a contract, an interface, and it will inject that, inject that into your application. And it then provides a default implementation when you install Jetstream. So it will automatically resolve from the container your concrete implementation for that contract and so it's used for creating users for updating users deleting users whatever steve's kind of sticking point here was that this was meant to be a way to kind of extract and get everything out of the controllers and put that into nice places but then he ended up with an actions folder in his application that just had everything in it and so he goes in to talk a little bit about the cqrs or command query responsibility segregation pattern that allows you to kind of break up all of these actions into more discrete namespaces and splitting between you know your command, which is your write operations, things that are creating records in the database, and your read operations, your query operations. Um, so it goes into a bit of detail about how we got from, you know, having everything in the controller to then having it as these actions, and then how splitting, how we went about splitting that further into more discrete. Like instead of having a create new user action, he would just have in the in the username space, new user, right? And so talking about that. If you need some background reading, there's also modeling business processes in Laravel, which he's spoken about previously, and then shows how using um, process pipelines and things like that to get all of this done. So check that out. Very good, very in-depth article, as we've come to expect from Steve. And another Steve, this time Stephen Reese Carter, has been um, kind enough to write an article for us on the top 10 Laravel audit security issues. So this is the start of 2022. Steve has spent his time. Stephen has spent his time conducting security audits and penetration tests for Laravel applications, and has audited, audited apps of all sizes, from tiny apps with a handful of controllers right through to huge apps with a multitude of modules and many different coding styles and app structures. And amongst all of that, there has been a pretty clear trend that he holds true for the apps that have been audited. Laravel itself is pretty secure, but it's easy to overlook the little things and the extra layers of defense, um, like the, the extra layers of defense and leaving weaknesses hidden somewhere. So this is 10 of the top things that he has found in the last year and a bit in terms of missing bits and pieces, things that are opening yourself up to security issues. Um, I'm going to hit the, the talking points, the the titles, and you can go and fill in the rest in your own time. Number 10, insufficient input validation. Number nine, missing sub-resource integrity. An extra reading if you need to go and find out what sub-resource integrity is. Insufficient rate limiting at number eight. Number seven, cross-site scripting, outdated and vulnerable dependencies at number six, insecure function use number five, missing security headers number four, missing content security policy, CSP. That's a whole other thing. If you want to go even deeper on CSP itself, number three, and uh, number two, missing authorization and number one, exposed API keys and passwords. How often have you accidentally committed a secret somewhere into Git? And once it's there, it's very hard to get rid of. So um, these are the things. There's also a bonus, which I will leave for you to discover. But in summary, if there's anything that surprises you, if there's anything that you need to go back and check in your own applications, maybe there was something that you disagree with in this article. Head over to, um, Stephen's got links to his Twitter, his Fediverse, Mastodon, um, Substack Notes, if you want to check that out. He's also got his own security course that he's got. He's got um, a, a newsletter that you can subscribe to for, uh, I think, regular updates as well. So definitely check that out. Uh, links to all of that, of course, will be in the show notes. That's
1: very interesting. Steven uh, Rice Carter always does a really good job on this stuff. And the thing is, like, it's not that I haven't heard of any of these things before, but some of these are just annoying to do, but they are important. They are important indeed. Yep. Outdated under vulnerable dependencies. Thankfully, we have Dependabot for things like that now. You know, so like Dependabot sort of watches your composer and your uh, NPM dependencies to make sure that those are. Uh, kept up to date and you can turn that on pretty easily. Mm-hmm. The CP, the, you know, security policy. That's a good one to look at those. Uh, the other one that you were talking about with the sub resource integrity, uh, basically is, you know, when you're loading in third party scripts using, um, script tag, uh, you can, mm-hmm. you can sort of limit that to say like, don't let that change on the other side. Uh, so, it, you know, it does like essentially, I think almost like an MD5 check. Right versus like, hey, make sure the make sure this this did not change. And so it's kind of cool. It's built into the browsers now, which is really nice. Yeah. All right, folks. Well, hey, this was episode one hundred and ninety. We're approaching episode two hundred, which is uh, when we're going to be giving away a small car to uh, the first person who leaves a um, review for the show. Jake's paying for it. It's okay. Oh, I mean, Hot Wheels. Did I say? What did I say? I said small car. Did I? Small car. I did say small car. Okay. Yep. I'm going to give away an exclusive Hot Wheels car uh, when we hit episode 200. But uh, this was episode 190. So you can find show notes for it at dot com slash 190. Hit us up on Twitter at Jacob Bennett or at Michael Dorinda or at Laravel News or on Blue Sky Social at Laravel News. Just kidding. Michael's like, what? Wait a second. What? No, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, rate us up in your podcast of choice. Five stars would be much appreciated. What were you gonna say? That's news to me. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 blue sky. I don't think so. We'll see. Eric probably. He's he's always on the cutting edge. You know, he'll get one soon enough. Always, always. All right, folks. Till next time. We'll see you. Bye.